0: Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. And we are back. Kevin's corner in the month of June means we are one month away. And change from training camp beginning It's wild. When you get into the Jays, Chris, June and July, you're like, holy shnikes. Here we go. (laughs) It's about to get real. I'm Kevin Bowen. Chris Presley is across the way. And uh, we are now in the second week of open OTA sessions. The mandatory minicamp will come next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We're coming at you Thursday morning. And, uh, again, still voluntary right now. Things will get officially mandatory next week and that's it veterans will then head their separate ways for about a month and a half before training camp at grand park begins chris presley uh your 500 weekend
1: my 500 weekend was well went to uh lake freeman up in monticello indiana just northeast of is lafayette that indiana beach it is in that area yes
0: indiana beach still alive
1: you know, I, I'm I'm not very sure. I was you didn't venture over there. I was uh, asked to attend, and I did so. Um, and it was good. It was. We just went up one one day, and then had a race party the next day, which I both know both of our drivers that we picked last week did not win, but it was a spectacular race to yeah. not only watch, but in our field, since we are the flagship station to listen to. Um, we listened on ninety three WIBC the entire way down from Lake Monticello and uh, or or Lake Freeman, and yeah, it was it had a great weekend. It's yeah. a, this is always a good you know grill out, be on a boat, certainly support the troops, certainly have a good day, and then Tuesday you're like oh, back to the real world. I
0: know, yeah, <laughs> we uh we we did the show Monday morning after the 500, which, you know, makes sense. We are the flagship, like you said, and my co-host Jake Quarry is
1: mm-hmm.
0: vast in his racing 500 knowledge and is on the call for that broadcast. So it was fun, but then, man, you hit a wall hard, yeah, hard after that. Uh, the Colts obviously had Monday off. They didn't get back to OTAs until yesterday, Wednesday. That was the OTA that we saw out there. Um, today, on Thursday, I believe is their fifth. I think tomorrow is their sixth. And then next week, 7, 8, 9. And that will wrap up, again, the offseason program. So, Twitter questions per usual. Um, and when we get late into the summer, I've got a few kind of topic ideas. You know, we're going to recap OTA 2 on today's pod. Yep. Uh, we're going to recap in the mini camp of course, next week. Uh, if you guys have any you know fun topic ideas you want to throw at us, late June, early July, uh, we'll probably take a one-week break. I know some years we haven't done that. I think it's probably good for... You guys hear my voice way too much uh, outside of the podcast, the morning show. So we'll probably take a break over July 4th, but um, I've got a couple of what I think are, you know, kind of different topic ideas, very off-season centric topic ideas that we can talk about. But if you guys have any as well, feel free to message Chris or I. Um, All right, let's get into what I saw yesterday and... Right now, the most prominent topic is Kenny Moore, so let's start there. I guess what I saw is I didn't see Kenny Moore, so that's a little bit of a change, Chris. We saw him last week; we did not see him this week. Uh, you guys know full well that I often use the phrase "deadline spur action." Next week is a bit of a deadline. If Kenny Moore doesn't show up to minicamp, per the CBA, he can get signed or, excuse me, fined north of ninety thousand. I think it's 15,000 for day 1. I think that jumps, I think that doubles for day 2. And then if it goes a third day, I think it's like in the 45, 46,000 range. So, um 90,000 to 99.999% of this listening audience and the two people on these mics is uh yeah, that's a lot of money to a guy making <laughs> 6 or 7 million. It's something um but it's probably more of just the message that you're sending either party, whether the Colts choose to find him or Kenny Moore says, no, I'm good with Correct. not showing up for that. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, part of me, Chris, thought yesterday, is this Kenny Moore taking another step in this? You know, last week he was present. Did his agency – oh, man, people think this is a cordial holdout. People think this is a friendly holdout. Watch this. You know, we're going to take it a step further. These are all ideas kind of popping in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, deadline spur action, and the most important deadline will be whatever day one of training campus. You know, ne- next week, I mean, there are guys, G- Chris, I-, I bet there's, you know, half a dozen guys that'll hold out of a mini campus year around the NFL. Like, just kind of somewhat of a common thing uh, with guys. So, um, you know, Kari Wills isn't here. Yannick Ngakwe are not here. Isn't here either. You know, Colts are communicating with them, and Ngakwe does his own thing. I think the Colts are good with it. Obviously, he's been in Gus Bradley's system. Not sure on the Willis absent there. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to kind of get the Kenny Moore thing out of the way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we have Kenny-related questions. If we do, we can expand on it there. But um, my thoughts certainly shared that last week. I'm still not overly concerned about this. Um, How Chris Ballard handles it, I think, will be telling. You know, you are setting a precedent in the decision that you make here. Um, so I think that will be something to keep an eye on. Did, did we get a Twitter question on We that? do. Okay.
1: Yeah, Daniel has one later okay. in, in Twitter questions, yes.
0: Let's uh, hold off on that. You know, the good injury news yesterday, and, and the surprising one was Julian Blackman. Yeah, you know, Chris, we, we probably use the phrase fast healer, and we don't even know what that means at times. Boy, it seems like Julian Blackman is that. Right. I mean, we're talking, I think I did the math yesterday, seven months and ten days removed from the torn Achilles. And he's out there doing backpedaling stuff, which to me, with the torn Achilles, that would be kind of one of the final things you would want to do. Uh, that was it from a positional drill standpoint. But, I mean, day one of training camp, certainly the start of the regular season, I would say Julian Blackman's is going to be in the starting lineup. And again, you tear your Achilles on October, I think it's 21st of last year. That is not a guarantee by any means. You you just listen to Blackman, and you're just reminded of this is a dude that gets it, Mm -hmm. and this is a dude that he really marries two aspects to playing the game that you don't often see married together for a player. Julian Blackman makes... Everyone in that organization sleep better at night, knowing he's back there as kind of the center fielder. So he's trustworthy. Well, when you think about trustworthy people, Chris, and this probably goes in just in general, but let's you know, obviously football players in this case, if you're trustworthy, you you probably don't seek out a lot of plays. You probably don't you aren't the most overly aggressive playmaking type of guy back there. Um, you probably aren't as much of a risk taker. Yet Blackman's been a really high-end playmaker for you at every level. I mean, you know, plays at the line of scrimmage, plays in the middle of the field, certainly plays at the back end as well, and just marrying that together, being trustworthy and reliable and consistent, but yet at the same time, sprinkling in the playmaking, again, is not something that a lot of guys do in this league. So, how he looks coming off the Achilles will obviously be something to monitor, but um, I don't think the Colts are in a position now where you look at any of these injury situations, we'll get to Darius Leonard. I think we had a Twitter question on that. So we'll probably hold off on that, but, um, you know, injury issues don't seem to be too abundant right now. Again, how does he look? You know, is it Eric Fisher? Like, is it Marlon Mack? Like, is it Cam Akers? Like, you know, certainly be something to keep an eye on, but you got to remember, Chris, in this defense too, Gus Bradley has a heavy emphasis on safeties. And using them a little bit differently, so Blackman's responsibility and all of that just takes on a greater stance.
1: And he's able to sing; just a great vocalist. He can sit, dude. He's smooth. <laughs> he's a smooth dude. He is smooth. He's a smooth, smooth operator. So, what? Anything yeah. else from uh, Week Two of OTAs that you want to touch on? Yeah, I guess let's Austin's flip over. The bu-
0: wait, one last thing on defense. Okay. The best player I've seen in these first two has been Isaiah Rogers. Um, Chris, there is just not a panic with him. When the ball is thrown, and I don't know how, how people do it, but like when the ball is thrown, I immediately look in the direction of like where I believe the ball is going. And when I see, when my eyes lock in on that defender pass catcher mm-hmm. and 34 is the first jersey I see, I just think to myself, that dude looks in position. That dude looks pretty calm. That dude looks like he's about to make a play on the ball. And more often than not, he does make a play on the ball and he wins it. He wins that rep. He knocks the ball away. There's a play yesterday where Alec Pierce I think had him by like a yeah, maybe a half step. That might be generous. But Pierce was behind him. I thought Rogers was pretty in stride with him. And it's a deep ball from Matt Ryan. And Rodgers knocks the ball away. And I'm just like, man, that's just really solid down the field, you know, not getting panicky, not getting grabby late. And, of course, Gus Bradley yells out, pick that shit. And I'm just like, you know, (laughs) sure, if you're getting greedy, but, like, (laughs) I feel like Isaiah Rogers should be patted on the back for making that play. Of course, that's a typical coach wanting a little bit more out of him. but You know, I think we've all expected a jump from Isaiah Rogers this year, and you can see why. So, uh, that is a guy defensively that has stood out to me. And he's getting great opportunities. Stephon Gilmore's not doing full-speed stuff. And Kenny Moore, of course, is not out there. Uh, offensively, I thought Matt Ryan was very accurate again.
1: Yeah, he seems to be working very well with the tight ends from what I hear.
0: Yeah, Molly Cox had a quote yesterday about just that ball comes out. When you're out of your break, that ball's there. And I watched Ryan yesterday, and the thing that I noticed several times is, and we've heard this in the NFL, and it's probably easier to see, like, on film or an overhead shot, the all-22 shot, but you hear the phrase, throwing guys open. You know, if you wait till Michael Pittman turns around and flashes his hands, that is too late. Nick Foles did that yesterday with – Naheem Hines in the red zone. I think it was Hines. And Sterling Weatherford, the the rookie safety-turned-linebacker from Cicero, mm-hmm. picked that ball off and was gone. Um, Matt Ryan does a really nice job of throwing guys open or throwing with anticipation. And there is a level, Chris, of knowledge you have to have to do that. Yes. And then just flat out you got to have some
1: mm-hmm.
0: cojones to <laughs> – You know, make a risky move and that you're trusting your guy. And for a first-year quarterback in this system and this personnel, you you know, it it is not a foregone conclusion that you're going to have that built in. So that's what I noticed with Ryan. There was a play over the seam or down the seam that that Pittman, I don't think it fully turned around. Boom, all of a sudden he did. He kind of caught it right as his eyes turned around, and there was Pittman in stride. So, um I see a guy that is just decisive with progressions is probably the other thing I would say of if you've got one, two, three, four, how quickly do you go through that? Can you eliminate one? Do you go one, three, four? Uh, Do you go one, two, three, four? If you do that, you might be out of luck. So um, the accuracy with Ryan is there. And again, just to remind everybody seven on seven, is full throttle. That is 100% right now. There's no pass rush, so you know, take that with a grain of salt. Um, but still, I think the accuracy with Ryan I have noticed. You know, I rookie-wise, with you know Alec Pierce, not a ton of first-team reps. Jelani Woods, maybe a little bit more. Um, with Woods, I think something to keep an eye on, Chris, is just, again, how natural of a pass catcher is he. Yeah, Alec Pierce, like, you don't have to watch on the practice field long, to realize that dude comes from a family of athletes. You know, he's just he's very natural, very fluid. Jelani Woods, it's a little bit more of a you throw the ball to him and it's like you really need to probably watch him secure the ball to his body. Just not the most natural pass catcher. I think that'll be something to keep an eye on. And then lastly, Chris, I guess I'll, I'll say this. Paris Campbell had a really nice day yesterday. Uh, the defense had issues in the red zone, just kind of accounting for him. And you're reminded, like, the Campbell speed, it can help you out in those kind of short areas of the field as well. But I
1: I also was can, – Can I quickly, when you say, was it underneath routes or was it out routes? or?
0: Um. Yeah, I would say, well, you're, you're kind of in a short area of the field. I, I'd say mostly underneath. I mean, there's some back of the end zone plays, but – Basically, it's not Gamble opening it up and getting 30, 40 yards down the field. I mean, right. This is mostly red zone stuff. So, uh, you know, Frank Wright gushes over his footwork, and, and that's critical in the red zone to try to create separation in kind of the short areas of the field. I was thinking about it yesterday, though, to myself, watching the wideouts, and the question popped into my head of, we know Michael Pittman's going to catch 100 balls, something like that. Mm-hmm. We know he's going to be the number one wideout. Who will finish second on this team at the receiver position in catches? Who will be the wideout that's number two at the end of the year in catches? Is it going to be Paris Campbell? Will he be healthy enough to do that? Is it going to be Alec Pierce? Will Alec Pierce kind of do what not a lot of rookies have done in this organization, certainly, and impact that that level as a rookie? Uh, I threw the question to Jake earlier today. Jake goes, is it T.Y. Hilton? And the Colts are continuing to discuss the veteran wideout market. They did it yesterday morning. As I said on last week's podcast, these three weeks, last week, this week, and next week, are big for those wideouts to say to Chris Ballard, you don't need to go get somebody else. Right. You know, you, you've you got what you need here. Uh, but Jake threw out T.Y. Hilton, you know, as a guy, that he could finish number two. Um, the guy that I just – you know, I, I'd probably bet on, you could probably get some decent odds on him right now. I'd probably go with Ashton Doolin. Really? He's the longest tenured, you know, wide out in that room. Um, I think the Colts have always thought to themselves, there's more there than just a special teamer. And sure, there's an element of, he's got to be available for you. Mm-hmm. And certainly he does that more than Paris. And then again, he is in been in this system. He's used to the NFL whereas Alec Pierce is not. So, I don't know, maybe I'm trying to think outside the box, but
1: um, what if it's Hines? <laughs> well,
0: uh, I am saying wide out. Okay. Cuz okay. if you went just who will be second in catches? It's probably Hines. That is probably the the I mean, you could maybe Moale Cox. I I right. I don't know if someone would, would would think that, but yeah, purely wide out who would be second I think that's a pretty good debate.
1: Well, let's stop on the whiteout just for a minute because we do have a lot of whiteout questions, so I want I want to get to those in cool. Twitter questions for you. Are you ready for Twitter questions? I am ready.
0: Yeah, let's, uh, let's get into them.
1: All right, the first one comes from David. Has your faith wavered in the medical professionals who deal with the cults? He's not happy with how everything happened with Andrew Luck and how that went down, and there are rumblings that Darius Leonard is not getting better. What have you heard? What have you seen? How do you feel?
0: Yeah, the Darius Turner thing's a little weird, Chris. I'm not going to lie. You know, last week Frank Wright called it a surprise he wasn't on the practice field. This week, Reich, and I'm paraphrasing here, I think he called it a lull in the rehab process. You know, we're going to take a pause and figure it out. Chris, I don't like taking pauses and figuring it out in June. Let's do that in January and February. And, again, my medical professionalism is not at a very high level. <laughs> um, I try to ask. I I, I I try to talk to people that know far more to, to get clarity on these sorts of things. And no one says, yeah, let's just go into the knife to go into the knife. Like, no one wants to do that. But it just seems like after everything Leonard went through last year, and at times, Chris, you look down on the field and you thought, oh, my gosh, is that John Daly playing linebacker for the Colts? And then there are times you're like, oh, my gosh, that's the best offensive player in football. Right. It it was wild to watch him gut it out and the good and the bad, mostly good, but there were some bad, and he would actually tell you that. It just seemed like at the end of the year, if you could have sat down and been like, all right, I didn't like last year having to play through that. Do we need one more cleanup and try to get this fully healed and get back on track? There have been, I believe, two surgeries already. Um, And I think this time last year. I think he had a cleanup, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I just don't want to get to July, Chris, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, Darius Leonard just practiced for three straight days, and the wear and tear of ramping that back up has led the medical staff or whoever to think you need to do something. David said, has your faith wavered in the medical professionals that deal with the Colts? It's the hardest question I get. You've heard me say that before, Chris. Is this on the rehab team? Is it on strength and conditioning? Is it on nutrition? Is it on the doctor? You know. I,
1: There's a ton of variables.
0: I There's so many variables. And I, I just don't know. But the Leonard situation right now, the fact that it's June and we lack a little bit of clarity and direction, it's concerning to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll obviously see. How it all plays out, you know, my thinking is this if he hasn't participated yet in the spring, why would you put him out there next week? I, I I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things where you almost put him out there next week and you say, All right, can you get through this week? If you can't get through this week, then we do a little cleanup action and then you know, yeah. you regroup and um in July, um and you go from there. So right, yeah.
1: All right, Kevin, this is from Zach. The pod gets him pumped up each week as we get closer to the regular season, and he wants to say, keep up the great work. Let's
0: go, Zach. I love hearing that. Yeah, bring some energy. You guys know, love the pod. Love the pod. It gives me good energy. So I'm glad you guys are feeling that as well.
1: So I told you we had some wide receiver questions. This is one of the first ones that we have. He has a question for you regarding the top three wide receiver leaders for the Colts this year. And these are his, and he wants your opinions. Michael Pittman, 1,100 yards, nine touchdowns. Paris Campbell, 850 yards, and five touchdowns. And Alec Pierce, 700 yards, and seven touchdowns.
0: Interesting. Um, okay, give those to me again. And while you do this, I'm going to try and look up. Okay. Um, a, a, a stat here. So he is saying the top three wideouts for the Colts.
1: He said receiving leaders, but I'm guessing it's going to be because we talked about how Hines might sneak in there a little yeah. bit. So we'll just stick wideout.
0: out. Okay, and, and give those numbers to me. Pittman,
1: 1,100 yards, nine touchdowns. Campbell, 850 yards, five touchdowns. Pierce, 700 yards and seven touchdowns.
0: Okay. Chris, I um, just pulled this up real fast, and I've gone back to the 2010 season to see the last time. Basically, I've just looked up the numbers for Colts wideouts over that span. Mm -hmm. In that span, they've had 19 wideouts eclipse 700 yards. Excuse me, this is not just wideouts because I see Kobe Fleener's name on here. Um, 19 guys have seasons of more than 700 yards. I'm trying to think the last time I'm trying to look here the last time they had three of them. Yeah, I can't find it. Um, <laughs> and I don't, you know, I don't say that to like
1: probably Wayne Clark and Harrison. Rip
0: Zach. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't say that at all. I just think it's a little bit too rich to expect that. When aren't we assuming Jonathan Taylor is going to fall out of bed and get two thousand yards? <laughs> like it, it just seems a little bit too rich there to expect that. Pittman, I mean, that seems pretty realistic to me. Nine touchdowns, you guys know how, how I feel about touchdowns. That can get quirky. That can kind of get funky there. You know, Campbell, 850. Um, you know, that's that's rich. That's, that's a lot. I mean, you know, last year you had no one besides Pittman over 400 yards. And... You know, now we're expecting a rookie and a guy that's played what thirty percent of the games in his career to put up those numbers. It just, I, I just can't go there. Pierce with seven touchdowns. I mean, that that's a lot. That's twenty-one touchdowns right there out of those three. I mean, you only had twenty-seven last year as a receiving group. So, Zach, I would tone back the Campbell and I tone back the Pierce. Um, you know, Campbell. It's so fascinating to me, Chris. I think Paris Campbell is a good football player and can be really effective. If we're in a, de- in a debate class, Chris, and I took that stance of the debate and you were on the other stance of the debate, mm-hmm. you would pull up Paris Campbell's 15 games in the NFL and you would show me an average of two catches for 20 yards in those 15 games. Right. Two touchdowns in his career. 15 games, two touchdowns in his career. And you would say, "Hey, Kevin, what about this?" And I'd sit there and think, oh, "God, those numbers. You know, I, I, it's hard to argue against those numbers."
1: Um, Objection.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now I'm picturing you and I in this in this debate class. It, it's it's weird, Chris, because like in this town, the two most off injured players we talk about are probably Malcolm Brogdon and Paris Campbell right now. Absolutely. You'd consider Malcolm Brogdon, what, a top... Put Malcolm Brogdon's injuries to the side for a second. What's he, a top 50 player in the NBA? Top 70?
1: Oh, yeah. I would. I mean, rookie of the year? Yeah, for sure.
0: You know, you can't even call Paris Campbell a top whatever wideout. You know, it's just like, it, it based off his numbers, you know, based off his... I mean, Cam, or Brogdon's giving you, what, 20 a night and 7 assists and 6 rebounds and, like, I mean, those are very impressive numbers. Campbell, it hasn't been that. So it's almost like we are still in this stage with Campbell of, yes, he's got to stay healthy, but then, Chris, then he's got to string together two or three six-for-72-yard football games before we even go there with him. So um, I I understand if former second-round pick and a healthy offseason and Matt Ryan should help him and all of that, but if I'm betting, Zach – I. I I would be taking the under on that uh, with Campbell and probably with Pierce as well. I mean, that's a lot of receiving yards that you're talking about with those three guys when we think Hines is going to play a big role and obviously Jonathan Taylor Mm -hmm. is going to do Jonathan Taylor things.
1: All right, Kevin, the next one comes from Daniel. He wants to jump back to the defensive side of the ball with Kenny Moore, which we talked about at the beginning of the show. The situation got him thinking about contracts and holdouts. He feels like a big part of professional culture is shifting over the years and people advocating for themselves with salary negotiations, especially as they add value in their roles. Are these situations with the NFL players really different than that? He feels like generally they're looked down on way more for some reason with people calling them greedy or selfish at all. Thanks for all the Coles content each week, as always? Yeah,
0: I appreciate that, Daniel. I think it's a really good question. Um, And it's always just kind of a difficult thing with athletes, Chris. You know, we are, you know, calling them out for doing something that probably in our profession we all have done at some point in our lives, trying to want more money, trying to ask for more money, obviously, the scale that they're on. Is a far different scale than the scale of what what we are on. I think something I'm reminded about about Kenny Moore is this. Kenny's extremely prideful. His entire life, he's been told he's too short, too small of a school, didn't get drafted, you're five nine. you went to Valdosta State. He's already been cut once in his NFL career. Hell, Chris Ballard well, didn't want him here initially you know it. so I say all that to say that the reason why Kenny Moore has turned into this type of player is a lot of he's been slighted and he kind of wants to say I'm going to stick it to you and my work ethic is going to be at an astronomical level and I'm going to get to you know levels that other people don't think I can get to um, and like I, I understand where Kenny's coming from I mean both my parents are former teachers, Chris. If they were ranked like if they were the twenty seventh paid teacher in a school district and yet they feel like their teaching was at a higher level than that, mm-hmm. they'd be frustrated. Uh, my wife, you know, has worked in sales. If you were the twenty seventh sales paid as a twenty seventh salesperson in that market, but yet you've put up some numbers that are should be in the top ten, top fifteen. Um, I I understand where Kenny's coming from. I'll go back to what I said earlier. I I can't see this lingering too deep. I say that, and I don't know if the Colts are going to budge. But I just feel like at some point, both parties will sit down and find some common ground with this. I'm still not high on the DEFCON meter with it, you know. It'll be interesting to see the precedent, again, that Chris Ballard sets if he does indeed decide to set one. I'm not saying that he definitely will. Um, But I think Kenny deserves a slight increase. I do. I think calling him just a slot corner is unfair. I think he's really available for you. I think people take that for granted. Um, Not going to break the bank, but a slight increase, yes. I think he deserves that. Now, will the Colts give that to him? No. And, like, you know— do the Colts try and, like, go around it? Do they add more incentives to the deal? Do they guarantee some of the deal? Does Chris Bauard say, hey, man, if you play well this year, we'll rip it up and we'll give you a new one next year? Because he's still got two years left. You know, We're not even at the contract year part. Right. right? Like we are with a lot of these holdout guys. Um, so, I don't know exactly the plan or the path that it'll eventually go down. But I'd be – I'd be surprised if we got to August 2nd and we're still talking about this at this level.
1: But if you're Kenny, and especially with a new agency, words are words, which is great, and Chris Ballard seems to be a guy who stands by him, but I'm not doing anything until it's on paper.
0: Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yes. Word of mouth is, yeah, you can't trust, you can't fully go there trust-wise. So, Uh, again, I'm fascinated to see how it's going to play out.
1: All right, from Kenny, back to the offensive side of the ball. We have four more questions. This one's from Alex. He wants to know if you've seen anything or heard anything about Mike Strawn. He knows last year he struggled due to the lack of knowledge of the playbook. He assumes he's gotten a little bit more comfortable now. What type of role do you see Strawn playing on the field since he had just a little bit of playing time last year?
0: Yeah, uh, Strawn was not out there yesterday, so I've seen him one time. Okay. In this spring, he he was out there, I should say, but was with the rehab staff, not participating. Um, you know, with Strawn, Chris, it's just going to be all about translating it to games. I don't, you know, I think at times clearly there was a mental element to the game of football at the professional level that the Colts try to throw some stuff at him in week one and two, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of deteriorated from there. I think we need to remind ourselves with Mike Strong this. The guy is. Played and not even played a lot, but he's played two games of football since 2019. And he came from a Division II level. Right. You know, he had the COVID year, which totally knocked out his final season of college football. Mm -hmm. Then again, last year, he played in a rotational role those first two games and then barely played after that. So there's just comes an element with Strawn where you want to see him, I think, be more consistent throughout the entire field as a wideout. And then he's going to have to translate it translating it to games. You know, if I remember correctly, Chris, I don't remember too many flashes in the preseason from him last year. I felt like it was more of a Grand Park thing absolutely than it was. So even in those preseason games, you want to see it. I'm pulling it up now what Strawn did last year. I guess he had 10 grabs. That's a little bit more than I thought. 10 grabs over three games, of course in the preseason. I don't know. I just feel like I noticed Patman a little bit more. Uh, Patman only had one more grab. Um God, Tariq Black, he had a nice preseason last year now that I'm looking at some of these names on the list. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I, I think you just want to see that um, from him. And, and I, st- I still think there will be just a, all right, you're going to get to September, and you're going to throw him out there, and there's a bit of an
1: unknown. Yeah. Three more, and I'm sorry if I butchered this name. I don't know if it's in Juanito or if it's in Jonito.
0: Hey, but both sound great to me.
1: We'll go in. Both sound cool. We'll go in in Juanito right now. Better than
0: Kevin or Chris.
1: <laughs> so it's Kevin. Last week you were pondering to yourself on the podcast the last time we had a guy that quietly put up a solid season at the edge rush. He thinks in 2019 when Justin Houston had 11 sacks. If Yannick Ngakwe has that kind of season and DeForest Buckner does DeForest Buckner type of things, how big of a leap does Quiddy pay or how big of a leap does Quiddy pay need to make to have a top 10 pass rush for the Colts?
0: You know, I'm probably nitpicking a little bit with that. I mean, 11 sacks is 11 sacks and extremely notable. I'd have to go back and look it up. I feel like the. Pressure, hurry, like quarterback rate for Houston, didn't tell, told a little bit more of the pressure story. Eleven sacks is still eleven sacks, but like from an individual consistent rush pressure standpoint, like let's say those eleven sacks had Houston thirteenth in the NFL that year. I have no idea, just throwing out a number. The pressure, quarterback knockdown, those stats I think had them a lot lower than that. than that So. Um, again, maybe I'm being a little bit too critical, but the position means so much that I, I, I just try and look a little deeper at that. Um. Okay, so how big of a leap does pay need to make? Is that, is, is that what he's saying?
1: How big of a leap if those two guys, if Yannick Ngakwe has this kind of season like Justin Houston and DeForest Buckner stays aggressive as he is. Yeah. How big of a leap does Pay need to have to make that line solidified to be one of the top ten pass rushes?
0: Man, you got to think he's going to have some great opportunities. I throw Dio Dangbo into the mix as well. You know, from a pass rush plan standpoint, you know they're going to focus a lot more on Ngakwe and Buckner for obvious reasons. Um, you know, if Pay can get to, I mean, let's say Ngakwe has 10, ten sacks, Buckner's got seven. You know, if Pei can be in that seven to eight range, I think that would be monumental. You know, for for Quiddy, what I want to see more, and I think he admitted this as a rookie, of like the speed of the NFL was a jump for him. You know, Quiddy Pay put up these absurd combine testing numbers.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: His body type is so unique. I mean, he's got tree trunks for legs. (laughs) I don't see that the testing numbers when he puts the helmet on. As much as maybe I see it in other guys. Now, some of it might just be my eyes. Like, when you look at pay, you don't think those testy numbers. Whereas, when you look at Ture, a little bit more of a slender body, you expect more of a speed element to his game. But I just want to see that out of pay. Um,
1: You're also sitting very high, Kevin. (laughs) Right now? No, I'm saying when you said your eyes. Right. <laughs> oh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know.
0: W- w- with that, I just I I cannot reiterate enough. If somehow that four man rush of Ngakwe Buckner, Pay, and the Dangbo, if they can be a top five to seven consistent pressure group, I talk about this team in a different light. Um, I talk about them in the month of January, and I think watching that with Gus Bradley's system, which doesn't blitz a lot, will be huge. So um, I would say, again, if Ngakwe can get to the level of a double-digit guy, if mm-hmm. Buckner can be Buckner, I still think you need pay to make a jump. And he should. You know, Honestly, there's probably an element of, like, if Ngakwe only gets you eight sacks, the amount of single teams that Quiddy or Dio should get, that should allow them to produce a little bit more and kind of maybe offset just the sheer numbers.
1: Yeah, and it also never hurts that we play in the AFC South right now, so hopefully we can get around those edges. This one comes from Steven. Back to the defensive side of the ball, back to Kenny Moore. What are your thoughts on trading him? Could we And what could we even get for him? He doesn't like that he – he Steven, and this is Steven's words, feels like he's being a diva about this and thinks it's a big point in a cornerback's career how he handles the situation.
0: Yeah, you know, this is honestly a question along these lines. I got a f- we got a few of these, Chris. Um, I could imagine, and I get it when you're a fan and you see a player holding out for financial reasons. I fully understand the venom that comes with that, the little bit of anger, the the greed that you think is there. Um, again, I'll go back to what I said earlier about Kenny. What makes him so good? I think, is him always being slighted. And now he's gotten to a level. Did you see his emotion last year on Hard Knocks, Chris, when he got elected to the Pro Bowl? Yeah. Spoke volumes to me about what that meant. Not every guy reacts that way.
1: And not only his reaction, the team's reaction.
0: And they know what it meant right. to Kenny as well. Um, I'm also going to remind people, we are still in the voluntary part of the offseason. You know, we are still a ways away from this reaching a higher level in my eyes. You know, I had someone ask me, uh, your thoughts on trading Kenny Moore, Stephen says here. First off, Chris, as much as I think Isaiah Rogers done a really nice job, it's mostly as an outside corner. Who, who are you playing at corner? Right. You know? Like, this is not a team that has a, an abundance of depth at corner. I don't think Stephon Gilmore is playing 100% of those snaps. Um... What's the future there at corner? Gilmore's 32 years old. Um, you know, I'm trying to think back. Now that you've traded away Rock, Marvel Tell got cut last year. He's back. But, like, who are the corners you've drafted in early rounds that are like, oh, they are part of the future? Obviously, you feel like Isaiah Rogers is part of that. But it hasn't been a popular position you've drafted early, and they're still here. Rock, of course, yeah, is no longer here. Um, so, yeah, Stephen, I, I, I'm not even – I'm not there whatsoever with Kenny Moore right now. I think he's a valuable guy. Um, I think you've got the cap room to give him a slight increase without, you know, breaking the bank and without really hamstringing you moving forward there. So, yeah, yeah. Steven, I'm not there. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I know we got to wrap things up here quickly, but just back to your point, like what you said last week too, what precedence does that set for the locker room? Yeah. One guy asks for a little bit of a raise and you just trade him? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, that – you can look at it that way and then the other way, too, of like if you do give him an increase, what's Leonard going to say at the end of the deal? What's Braden Smith going to say at the end of the deal? And a lot of times we just put these labels on the athlete, the agency, heavily involved. There is a level of you are a professional and ultimately it's your choice. But we've seen it here with the Victor Oladipo. Think about college and NIL right now. Mm Mm-hmm. He has a new agent. This agent is trying to attract other clients, you would think. The best way to attract other clients is to show them, this is what I just did for player A. I can do this for you. Correct. So there is part of that as well with that.
1: Yep, good gamesmanship there and business. Last one comes from Hank. As of right now, who is on the hotter seat, Kevin? Frank Reich or Chris Ballard?
0: Um. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't. Again, Jim Ursain's eyes, I don't think either of them are on the hot seat. Um, I guess I'll go back to the seat warmer analogy, Chris. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. Yep. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe in Ursae's eyes, he's like looked at the seat warmer for Reich, and he's like, "Should I? is it, is it warm <laughs> enough? Is, is it spring? Should I put it on level one, or should I not even? Um, Ursae probably drives a vehicle that... They can just tell I don't think your,
1: helicopters have seat warmers. So well, that
0: and it probably just drives a car, you can tell by your butt temperature yeah. I, I, if you need a, you know, a, a heating mechanism or not with that. Um, so yeah, maybe Reich. You know, Ballard, I think, has always been the one more gushed about, you know, the twenty first century, best GM higher of the twenty first century, blah, 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 all of that. Um it's again kind of going back to the whole debate class. It is also um, something that I think about and thinking. and I would have to go back and look this up, but I bet when Ryan Grigson got fired, I'm willing to bet the Colts were, I don't know, top seven in the league in wins in the Grigson era. I bet when Pagano got fired, they weren't that far off. Now, Pagano went 4-12 and in his last year, so he obviously took a dip there. But Pagano also got fired with three playoff wins on his resume. So if you're just going to go off wins-losses right? and you compare that to Reich or you can compare that to Ballard, and, and it's more than that. And honestly, getting into a ballard Grigson debate on one of these podcasts in the summer, to some people it might sound like uh, nails on a chalkboard. To me it kind of <laughs> sounds fun. So we might, we might get into that. Um, but I think that is something – of when does it get a little bit more bottom line for Ursay? Does it? I don't think right now it is at that at all. I mean, the amount of patience that he is willing to show here is at a different level. And again, the foundation of year six of the Ballard era versus the foundation at year six of the Grigson era, that is much more in the Ballard pro category than it is Grigson. But when the black and white results of wins, losses postseason appearances, postseason wins, division as well. When does that start to creep into more of it? Again, I don't think it's an issue to turn the seat warmers on. You know, to me, it, it creates a level of accountability and it creates a level of, holy shit, I got to get my act together. The coach has said to Chris Presley, Chris, if this grade doesn't become a minus, B-, you're not playing against Carmel on Friday night. <laughs> That's a kick in the ass. Chris, if this, you know, if you don't work three shifts in the next four days at this job, you're not going to Tommy's party on Friday night. Like, there's just a level of a little bit of accountability that I feel like at times it's been a little bit too much like, Rosie loves to, like, hold people's hands at daycare. It feels like Jim, Chris, and Frank, it's a lot of the holding of hands, whereas at times it's like, you know, let's have a little bit more of a – Right. Let's go. A little bit of an urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something I really respect about what Tampa and L.A. specifically did is the years they hosted Super Bowls, They had this incredible sense of urgency in in the roster moves that they made. I don't know if that's just coincidental or if there was a little bit of like, guys, can you imagine if we made it to the Super Bowl in our own stadium,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: let alone win it, and both teams did it? Right. You know, like, it just seems like that's missing. You guys have heard me say, I feel like there's a lack of edge and a fire missing. With that, And I think we saw it at the end of last season of a level of complacency that crept in there. So, uh, again, in my eyes, turn the seat warmers on. Yep. Not a bad thing at all. Um, but in Ursay's eyes, certainly not for Ballard. And for Reich, maybe. Maybe. But I don't even think that.
1: Well, hopefully the city gets a Super Bowl back, but it's also very nice to see that we've got an extension on the um, –
0: Combine, right? Combine.
1: Yeah. yeah. So glad to glad to see the city of Indianapolis continuing to have the combine and glad to see a lot of national media people will continue to vouch for the city of Indianapolis. Thank
0: you, NFL, for not overthinking it. Thank you for not overthinking it. Thank you for not thinking money, money, money. The logistics, it makes sense. This event is too important. And, again, I'm not even – outside of Jerry Jones, Chris, find me one person that thinks the combine should be moved.
1: <laughs> the Rock. <laughs> <laughs> like, Dwayne Johnson.
0: <laughs> you know – I'm not even saying it with my extremely biased Indianapolis flag that I would like to carry around. Like, if you took that out of me and I was doing this job in the Kansas City market, I think I would say the same thing.
1: Yeah. Well, Kevin, that wraps it up for Twitter questions. Anything you want to add before we head to the end of the podcast?
0: No, we continue to have content up on our website, so 1075thefan.com there. Um, We are... Busy and recapping the OTA, the open OTA yesterday. I'll do that next week as well. Again, three days of mini camp out there, and we'll continue to have off-season content up on our site. Um, I will push people towards – I don't know if we'll throw it into the uh, podcast. I don't know. Maybe we'll do it in the off-season. But we had Mike Loxley on our morning show today, the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins, the head coach of Nick Cross. So a little bit of insight there. Kevin and Query, Q-U-E-R-Y is where you can find that podcast page. If uh, you guys want to check that out, we might put it in a show here later this summer, but um, I'll encourage you to check that out. He's Chris Presley. I am Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week, or great rest of the week. I guess it's already Thursday. We'll talk to you probably this time next week, recapping minicamp. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.